hear God's word to you this morning. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. That sends the reading of God's holy and errant word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. I think now you see why I got to take at least a couple Sundays to deal with all those wonderful words. Quick recap so that we don't just take these words divorced from the gospel that Paul just encouraged the Thessalonians with. We need to understand that Paul, up to this point in the epistle, very brief recap, you know, just think of it, um, if you watch any kind of TV series, I always love when they go, last time at Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and they give you a good update so you kind of remember where you left off, you know, otherwise you're like, why is he doing that? Why is he doing that? All right, so, last time on God's uh, book to the Thessalonian Christians, uh, Paul was encouraging the brothers and the sisters, and a lot of times, let me just say this, whenever I say brothers, it's the word brethren, and it includes men and women, just so you know, so, but that's the word in the Greek, brothers, means brethren. So Paul has been encouraging the brothers in Thessalonica with the wonderful truths concerning the promised return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful book that, that really outlines a lot about Jesus, what we're all anticipating, that we all can't wait for as believers, the second coming of Christ. And he reminded them, just to remind you, that when he comes, those who are not, listen, this is important, those who are not united to him by faith, they will face sudden disaster and there will be no escape. It'll be a terrifying day for those who don't know Jesus. However, what was very important for Paul to, to tell the Thessalonican believers, those who trusted in Christ, those who have turned from idols to serve the living and the true God, that's the, word, the words Paul uses in uh, Thessalonians 1, and to wait for his son for heaven, for those people, that day won't be a day of disaster, but that's going to be a day of what? Final deliverance. Like, you know how we talk about every day we still struggle with sin on this side of glory? Well, guess what? When Jesus comes... His kingdom is consummated. He will reign visibly and all sin will be banished, not only out there, but praise the Lord, guess where else? In here. Finito. No more sinning. How beautiful that day is going to be. 
What a wonderful day. No more having to come to one another and say, look, I blew it, brother. Right? No more having to come to God and say, for the umpteenth time, I messed up. In verses 9 and 10 of um, that we just read last week in chapter 5, listen to this. This is, one, this is all great stuff that we have to keep in mind as we go to the imperatives. He writes this. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we're awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Who's Paul writing to? Paul is writing to those who are the heirs of salvation. In other words, those who are united to Jesus by faith, and thus, what do we look forward to? We look forward to a wonderful thing. We look forward to here and now having fellowship with God so that we can live with Jesus, and we're also looking forward to what? In the future when he comes back to have unbroken fellowship. So in other words, we are awaiting Jesus to usher in the new heavens and the new earth. And so here's the important thing to see why I bring this all up in reminder. It's in light of these, of these great gospel truths of Jesus' second coming that Paul gives these final exhortations to live lives of godliness and holiness as children of the light, children of the day. And since Jesus died for us so that we can live with him now in the world to come, we have to learn. Listen, here's the important thing, okay? So now, now we're getting to the point. We must learn to live humbly with one another in love, peace, and patience here and now. You get that? Since we're looking forward to living in peace and love with Jesus then, we got to live in peace and love right now with the people right in front of us. Not some theoretical church or theoretical saints, but the ones sitting right next to you right now. You know, the ones who sometimes pluck your last nerve. I always tell my wife, if I plucked your last nerve, like when we first got married almost 30 years ago, how could I keep, it's gone. Cause I, no, but anyway, sorry. That was just a side note. You know, I, I don't get that. I plucked it, it's gone. But anyway. But what Paul is saying is our future hope is not pie in the sky. It needs to make a difference right here and now. People should see those who are awaiting with bated breath the second coming. They should see it in the way we live and especially, listen, especially how we treat each other in the family. Right? Because the world would say, hey, if they treat each other like that, why would I want to be a part of that mess? And you remember what Jesus said, they'll know you are my disciples by your what? Your love, one for another. That's the mark. So here's what's interesting here. In the final 17 verses of this epistle, Paul gives 20 commands. So I'm sorry for the analogy, forgive me, I don't mean to be, all I can think of is machine gun. You know, it's like 20 commands, wow! In 17 verses, he just starts firing them off. He explains in great detail what living like children of the light should actually look like in space and in time. And the nitty-gritty details of everyday life as we journey to forever together. Isn't that cool? We journey to forever together. We're on a journey. Pilgrim's progress. So this is what we're going to see this morning. And actually, I'm going to give you the whole outline, but we're only going to deal with the first point. Yay! So when you realize he's not getting to the second point, it's been a half, don't worry. We're going to do the first point today, 
and then the other two um, next week. So this is what we're going to see. As we await our Lord's imminent return, we must cultivate godly attitudes and actions toward three things. First, our relationships. As we await his return, we must cultivate a godly attitude toward relationships. Secondly, toward our circumstances. You know, those sticky wickets we have to deal with every day. And last of all, our beliefs. And we'll get into the, the next two, those last two next week. This week we're going to deal with a very important one, our relationships. So let's take a look at that one. So this is what, what Paul is saying. Those who have their eyes truly fixed on the world that is to come, okay, must walk humbly in this present world as they live out their faith in Christ Jesus. And so what's really important, I want you to see this, and I've noticed this the older I've gotten, what's really the most important thing in life? Out of all the things we have to deal with in life, where is it the most important place to practice our Christian faith? And it's almost like, duh, but our relationships. Life's all about relationships. What are the two greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and love your neighbor. That's what? Relationship. That we sometimes so often mess up, amen? And that's where God will not let us off the hook. He says that's an area the gospel's got to make a difference. Got to make all the difference. Because that's what the gospel's all about. It's about reconciling us to God. It's not just, gee, great, we get to go to heaven. But guess what's even more important? We're back with God. That's the issue. What's heaven without Jesus? Can I tell you? Hell. Okay? Heaven's heaven because Jesus is there. Okay? And one with another, God didn't only die to reconcile us to himself. He died so we'd be reconciled who? To each other. The gospel has that kind of power. And not only that, he wants us to also be kind and reach out to the world. We'll talk about that in a minute in terms of relationships. So Paul begins with a place that's very difficult for a pastor to preach on, but he does begin this, in this, uh, this, to the, in the, with these particular people, leaders in the church. Okay, Look at verse 12 to 13. Um, we're going to take a little time on this. He says this, Now we ask you, or we urge you, in other translations, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love, because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Now I want you to realize, I told you last week, I don't remember the count now, but it was something like, wasn't it around 17 times that he calls the Thessalonian believers the brothers? Something like that. Um, I had to look back at last week's notes. But this time he calls them three times. He, he refers to them as brothers just in this brief passage. And why? Because the church is the brotherhood of believers. It is the family of God. That's what the church is. Familia. Right? We belong one to another. We belong to God. We are children of the king. And in the family, God has appointed leaders to oversee and to care for his people. And guess what's going to happen? Someday, the leaders are going to have to do what? Give an account to God. And so think about it this way, children, when you always wonder about parents are always telling me what to do, guess what? They have to give an account to God. Because parents who have authority over children are there to care for, to oversee, to love, to discipline children. Right? But what, what, I, what really hits me as I go through these verses is that they're not easy to preach in America 
Maybe in other places they are. I don't know. Maybe they're just as hard. But we live in an increasingly anti-authoritarian culture. That means it's a culture that despises authority, doesn't like anybody to tell them what to do. So whether it's parents, whether it's pastors, or whether it's police, now they're all with P in English, we resent people telling us what to do. Think about it. I mean, how many times do you at least, come on, let's be honest, how many times, who, who do they think they are to tell me that? Or how dare they tell me, you know? <laughs> I know I've thought those kind of things in my own life. But here's the thing. This is nothing new. I want you to see something, first of all, biblically. Remember this. People challenged Moses, didn't they? Even his own, his own sister and brother said, hey, was, was God only talk through you? You remember what happened? Moses said, I got no problem with this. But guess who had a problem with it? God. God was like, God said, look, I've talked to other people. Visions, dreams. But Moses I've talked to as a friend talks to a friend. So that's when you kind of go, rut row. You know what's coming next isn't good. Now, people challenge Moses' authority, and he was a humble servant. The Bible says he was the most humble man, or meek, excuse me, the meek person on the earth at the time. They rebelled against King David. You remember that? David's a king. He brings them, into, uh, with God's help, into this great uh, time period of Israel. And what do they do? They try to kick him off the throne. And in case you, you don't, uh, you think it's just in the Old Testament, you remember how they treated the apostles? He said, they, uh, Paul says, we were like the ones at the end of the procession, people who, basically people spit on, as it were. Right? So often they were treated disrespectfully and challenged constantly, even though Jesus himself picked them and sent them out to speak for God. So it's not simply that we live in a culture that despises authority. Let me tell you what the problem is. You want to know what the problem is? I, I tell you right now. We're all sons of Adam, and we're all daughters of Eve. In other words, we've inherited what? A sinful nature. Sinful nature doesn't like having an answer to anyone. And yet, what does God say? Right here, God said basically himself, says that God... We see here that God blesses us with leaders who have the God-given charge over us, the word says here, in the Lord Jesus, to what? To admonish us. The Greek word Paul uses here for over you carries the idea of both stand over and care for. And so I want you to see something. Paul actually gives three commands concerning those who are over us in the Lord. And the first one is this. Respect those who work hard among you who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Now listen, we are creatures of extremes, aren't we? I've talked about this before. We go from one extreme to the other extreme. For us as humans, it's hard to go in the middle of the road. So either we idolize our leaders, you know, the cult of personality. The cult, anyway, sorry. Either we idolize them, we put them up on a pedestal, and believe me, as a leader, I can't stand that because you know why? You know how far of a fall it is from that? Oh, that's, do not idolize. Well, I'm not too worried about it with me. But with other, other pastors, don't idolize. And leaders, elders, Bible teachers, and so on. So the one extreme is to idolize them, to blindly follow them, to never dare to, to question any of their, anything that they say, no matter how unreasonable it might sound. But then there's the other extreme of what? Not even giving them the common courtesy 
and respect that's due to their high calling in the Lord. You know, when I was in seminary, I went to a Dutch reform seminary, which was an interesting cultural thing for me, a new culture. And um, they, in the old days, used to call their pastor Domine. Now, you say, oh, so what? It means Lord. So I'm like, uh, that's going too far. So some of us folks would be like, dude, please don't call me Lord. You know, Pastor Santo is fine. But I think in our culture, what? We've gone the other way, haven't we? We've gone the other way that we, we're very disrespectful. And that we don't show the honor that's due very often to them. Now, what I want you to see here this is very important. I didn't want to forget to say this. There's a beautiful harmony in Paul's closing exhortations here to the church in verses 12 to 24. And this first beautiful, what I will call it is this holy dance that we're going to see back and forth. The first is between the church leaders and the members. And so, as Paul says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. What we're going to see is that there's a wonderful check here for leaders. Because the temptation, especially if you're preaching that, but you know, it's like parents, you want to say what? You got to respect me. You with me? You know, so constantly you're, you're pulling that, I'm in charge, I'm the leader. So in case, case us pastors, we get a little bit, you know, oh, look at this, look what God's saying. Paul says something here that humbles us to the core puts us on our knees, and makes us do a little, you know, Rodney Dangerfield pulling on the collar. He says this, notice how he describes the leaders. Not as high and holy ones, not as these, you know, what does he say? Those who what? Work hard among you. Oh boy. And Paul's already used this word, work hard, twice in the epistle. The first time was in chapter 1, verse 3, when he says he remembers the um, Thessalonians' uh, labor of love. It's hard work, strenuous work, it's called, of love. The second time comes in chapter 2, verse 9, when he says this about himself. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. So in other words, this is a wonderful check for pastors, for elders, for deacons, and other church leaders who may be tempted to let their authority go to their head. Because notice, they're to work hard among God's people. They're to set the example of, of what? Working hard. In Paul's case, he was bivocational. He, he, he um, worked with making tents, and then he also would preach the gospel. So he was a, a guy working night and day. And he was an itinerant preacher. He went from place to place, planted a church, left after some weeks or some months. Every now and then he would stay even like a year or two, but most of the time he was moving on. Um, and sometimes the labor may be as a full-time preacher, teacher, um, that does all the teaching, the instructing, evangelism, shepherding, and the like. And you'll see that in 1 Timothy 5, uh, where Paul talks about those who give themselves uh, full-time to preaching and teaching. But whether you're bivocational or you're full-time, the point is you need to set the pace for the congregation and do what, Paul says? Work hard. And I'll tell you what. That's where I'm going to preach a little bit. My dad was a bricklayer. Worked with stone, a mason. You know, worked with these big stones. He'd have to lift up. The next one, grab him by hand. And he was a stocky guy. And he would come home, man, and he would be every day, come home 530, wrecked. 
with cement all over him, all kinds of scars. I mean, he fell off the scaffold a million times and have bandages. You know, he's one of these tough old Italian guys. My, my, my mom would be like, what? He's like, oh, it's okay, no big deal. There's like blood, you know. But my, literally. But so my dad was a hard worker, and that was, you know, you could say, well, that's real work. And this past week, um, I got only a small taste of that because I had six tons of rock poured in my backyard because I wanted to finish my yard before my wife got home. You know, do a nice little thing. You get a couple points, you know. Maybe I'll put that nerve I plucked back or something. But anyway, so um, I'm slinging that stuff, and I'm listening to sermons and stuff online, on, on the uh, iPod, and I'm slinging that stuff. And I'll tell you, at night, I got some good sleep, right? I, I went to bed, and I was like, ah, I did that nice, you know, snoring thing. Mayor wasn't there, so it didn't matter. Real loud. <laughs> but one other thing I also did was I um, finished... Was it 13 DVD series on the second um, level of Gottman marriage therapy, which by the end of the night, I also was what? <laughs> Why? Because relationships, learning how to, how to, how to um, deal with couples who are in stress and try to help them work out their marital issues, guess what it does? It takes energy right out of you. It's hard work dealing with those relational issues day in and day. It takes a lot of emotional toll, right? So that kind of work is also hard work, you know? And it definitely takes the energy out of you. And I'll tell you what, um, think about it this way. You ever hear uh, when people say things like this? Um, they'll say, oh, you're a pastor? Oh, you only work one day a week. Ha, ha, ha. And I'm just kind of like, no. So it's not real funny to me because, you know, when it comes to, and it's not just myself, but all my brothers, I want to speak for my brothers out there. Anybody out there listening to this, hey, brother, this is for you. But the point is, shepherding souls that you have charge of, and especially, actually, what does the, Paul talk about here in particular? Admonishing people. Let me tell you how fun that is. Not. It's not a very fun thing to have to admonish someone. Now, if you find a leader who enjoys that kind of stuff, fire them immediately. You get what I'm saying? It's like a parent who would enjoy any, the discipline part. No, you don't, you don't enjoy it. You do it. Why? Because you love the person you're serving. And because you have to answer to God for how well you love them. And sometimes part of love means admonishment, doesn't it? So... Shepherding, evangelizing, counseling, admonishing. If you take that serious, it's real work. And listen, if you want to do it with excellence, it's going to take effort. So Paul says this, Respect those who work hard among you who are over you in the Lord, and yes, who admonish you. And, and th this is what I want to say. Another thing I want to point out that I think is important that I think folks don't realize in the church. Listen. If you're a general in an army and, and the private doesn't listen, guess what you get to do? What happens? Court-martial or even kick him out of the army, right? And guess what? I'll kick you out and get another one just like it. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. So if you're, you're an employer, you work at a job, and your employee doesn't feel like doing the job, right? You can warn them. And then what happens if they don't do it anymore? 
See ya. Get another guy just like you. In the church, you're a leader. You say, hey, help me with the evangelism campaign. Campaign. Well, help me go out and do mercy ministry. And, and uh, the families go, I don't feel like it. What, what can you do? Nothing. And guess what else? The job still has to get done. You follow me? And so what is Paul saying? Paul's saying, listen, respect those folks who work hard, who are over you in the Lord, who admonish you. So th I think about it this way. People like my buddy Tom, they keep trying to get him to be an elder in his church in upstate New York. And he's always like, why in the world would I want to do that? <laughs> and, and he always says to me, dude, I don't know why you do this. Like, what, what, what's the point of this? And, and, you know, of course, we ask ourselves that very often as leaders. Why would we bother to do it knowing, listen, knowing that it will often put us in people's bad graces, right? Because if you rebuke somebody, do you think they go, thank you, pastor? I've been waiting for you to point out where I need to grow, right? That's not, not, that's not even my own. Even when other pastors rebuke me, I'm like, thank you, right? <laughs> and temporarily, sometimes what can happen when you, when you lovingly rebuke, guess what happens? They go around and tell the world about what a mean pastor you are. You with me? And sometimes even worse. So why would we bother doing it? I'll tell you two reasons. The first reason is it's because it's for our people's well-being and their spiritual health, and it's worth it. I'll take the hit. I'll take the pain. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you guys grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if he's committed to that for us, then as his under-shepherd, we have to be committed to that in you. And of course, the second reason is because God's called us to. We don't get to shirk. Listen, here's the point. If there's no admonishment going on in the congregation, then guess what? Somebody ain't doing their job. Wow. I know we don't want to hear that, but that's true. The church, there's no admonishment. Something's wrong. Because we just, we, I said, everybody's sinners. Everybody did what? Amen. We all mess up. Yes, we do. So we got to be admonished. Cricket. <laughs> no, we do. We need that little prodding. So I'm going to give you a quick example. See, I told you I'm not going to go too much longer uh, because of time's sake. But I want to give you a quick example of this. I was doing some premarital counseling in one of my other calls. And... Um, I always ask the couple, believe it or not, one of the things I ask them, because I am their pastor, and I love them, and it's, you know, it's not the elephant in the room. I want to talk about this, because it's God's will for their life. I'll say, how's your purity? Have you guys been doing? And every other time, people have you know, told me whether they were struggling or whether they, God's given them grace, they've been okay, and I've been able to just counsel them lovingly in that area. It's not like I'm going to you know, call the police, the spiritual police on them or something. So this one guy, as soon as I said, how are you doing spiritually or, or purity? He goes, I don't think that's any of your business. So you know what my first response in my head was? Well, I got my answer. <laughs> Number one, boy, you just gave yourself out away. But secondly, I was like, no, this is my business. Because it's not that I didn't want to know. So I go, you know, this is what we say here stays here. I want to know because if you're living in a way that's displeasing to God, I don't want your marriage to start off not blessed by God. I want you to be blessed by God. So all I would say is, hey, you guys need to stop that. You need to ask God to forgive you and start new. And you need to start fresh. And until you guys say, I do, you need to show God the fruit of your repentance by staying chaste. That's literally all I would have told the person. And then you could start with God's blessing. 
But what I bring that up because it's interesting, as, as, as disarming as I was, as mellow as I was, just trying to help them, notice uh, they, the gentleman in particular was a little offended uh, by that. But here's what's interesting. That's an area where God makes it clear. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, what does it say? It's God's will for you that you avoid what? Sexual immorality. So it's not a guess. It's not like, well, I don't know if I believe that. It says it right in the Bible. And notice it says, he who rejects this instructions, 1 Thessalonians 4, 8, does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. So once again, it's for the good of the receiver. I want to see you blessed. And I hope you want to see me blessed. One last thing on this point, and then we're going to move on to one last thing, and one other thing, and we'll be done. Uh, but I want to say this. This does not mean, oh man, I've been in these circles too, that leaders are to go around and micromanage and find every little area that you mess up all the time. You ever been in that kind of fellowship? I've been in the kind of fellowship that every day I'm being rebuked. I literally, when I was a seminary, I got a call. It's like, hey, what's up, Chris? Well, you know, I, I need to talk to you. I'm like, oh, God. yeah, what's up? I have a concern. You know, you know that concern that people always have? I'm like, okay, what's this? He's like, well, you said to me that, that I was drunk. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, when, when we were arguing about this theological point, you said, what are you, drunk? You know, I don't appreciate that you were saying that I was inebriated. I'm like, dude, dude, relax. I'm from Jersey. And that's, we were just talking, like I didn't mean any offense. And then the next time, he'll call you the next day because you didn't do this right. And then the next day, you get, what happens? I get exhausted. Are you with me? It's like, who wants to walk on eggshells? Oh, gee, I can't wait to see this guy again so he could point out every single, look. Now, I, I asked the kids if they ever saw Bugs Bunny. Anybody ever remember Bugs Bunny? Some of us, because I know some of my illustrations are old. But there was one of my favorites. Is there was one where Bugs was trying to hide from Yosemite Sam. And there was this annoying parrot and soon as soon as bugs hit somewhere he goes he's in there he's in there Rah! and bugs is like ah. and then he would go and slide somewhere else and the, the parrot would go he's in there he's in there so bugs was like mm, you know bugs ended up getting him back but there are some leaders that are like that that's not what paul's saying here he's not saying that at all He's just saying this, hold these leaders in highest regard in love, notice why, because of their work. And the word in the Greek here for highest regard is literally hyper abundantly or super exceedingly. The same word Paul uses when he says um, to him who could do exceedingly more than we ask or imagine, he says, I want you to exceedingly, exceedingly hold them in the highest regard, in love. Because listen, I think, I don't get to preach about pastors much. It's usually about the whole group. But I think you guys sometimes forget, and I forget this for the pastors and brothers over me and, and my colleagues. This, this is going to sound crazy. Watch out. This is pretty profound. We're human. And you know what we need and we long for just like you do? Guess what? Love. We want to be loved too. Hold them in the highest regard in, their lo in, their, in love because of their work. Calvin says this, he exhorts them not merely to respect them, but also to love them. For as the doctrine of the gospel is lovely, so it is befitting that the ministers of it should be loved. So Paul wraps up uh, this charge by saying, live it in peace with each other. Because that's, that's the dance I was talking about. The whole point is, we should be falling over each other, 
pastor and people, elder and people, leader and people, to show deference to one another, to keep peace, to encourage one another. Leaders should be working hard, serving, taking the hits for Jesus. And those who are being led should be respectful, should be honoring, should hold them in high regard, not because they have a DD or EE or PU in front of their name, but because of their work, of the gospel. That's the main goal. I am going to close with this because of time, but I do want to mention this. There's one other way, and we'll close with this. There's one other way that you can respect and honor your leader, and it's pretty interesting. It's in verses to 14, verses 14 to 15, when Paul deals with the responses we should have toward three types of people. Notice what he says is in four, what he says in verses 14 to 15. We urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. The word there, by the way, is admonish. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. I'm going to end with this. This is what I want to point out. The one other way in this text that you could honor and respect your leaders is by what? By helping him do his job. This is what I mean. The word for warning there is admonish. Now, Paul just said that the leaders admonish you, and now he's telling who to do the admonishment. Who? The whole church. In other words, don't leave it to the leaders to do all the work of admonishment. So you imagine in a, in a congregation of a normal size, how easy would it be for one or two leaders to do all the admonishment? I'll tell you how easy. Impossible. And so the Bible actually calls you to admonish one another. And he tells you the three groups of people, which we'll get into next week, who admonish those who are idle. In other words, those who refuse to work. And in, in uh, Thessalonica, it was because they said they were waiting for Jesus, so they didn't want to work. Um, others was encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. That's not leader's job alone. It's what? The church's job. We need. So when we were praying together, I want to tell you what it was doing to me. It was blessing my socks off. When I heard you each taking a prayer request and praying for one another, not, not because, oh, oh, it takes the, off my, I didn't want to pray. I love praying. It's that to see you caring for one another. That's the body of Jesus Christ showing that they have an eternal destiny, that they're not appointed for wrath, they're appointed for salvation, and showing that they're waiting for Jesus then by living how we're supposed to be living now. So that means so many times people will say, well, I'm too close to this person. I know them too well. I, I have to have the pastor uh, admonish them. Who do you think they're going to receive it better from in the long run? Those who know them and love them right? So you always start close, and then as the people don't listen, maybe you start bringing heaviers in, so to speak. But the whole thing is we, and, and admonishment always sounds heavy, but it, it, if you nip things in the bud, it won't have to be a big deal, will it? I always try, even with my kids, I would try early, before the thing gets bad, try to nip it. All right, so, so normally we would say, come on, you know better than that, and then we don't have to say anything else, right? But those who are persistent, guess what we have to be? We have to be sterner, and that's when he talks about um, warn the idol. The idol, the gentleness is done. You have to get strict with them. But we'll talk about that next time. So the wonderful thing, brothers and sisters, man, this is such good stuff. I want to go on, but I'm not going to. The wonderful thing is
and I'm, uh, I'm going to say this, and then we'll pray, is that this is all our human responsibility. But what does Paul say wonderfully toward the end of the passage? I don't want to mess this up. So that's our human responsibility. But here's the good news. Look at verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. So guess what? Just keep doing your best and pray that it's blessed, and Jesus takes care of the rest. That's a Keith Green song. I didn't make that up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you do give us leaders. And at times it's smarting when we have to be admonished. And sometimes we thank you that we have the job of admonishing one another. And as intimidating as that can be, Lord, may our love overshadow our fear. So that we see a brother or sister who, who needs a, a strong word in love. And we're willing to lovingly sit down with them, even over a cup of coffee, and just say, hey, brother, sister, how can I help? I see you struggling, and you know that this isn't God's will for you. Father, we thank you that because of your grace, we are a part of the body of Christ. We thank you that we have a glorious destiny, and may we continue to live as such, as people who are on their way to the new heavens and the new earth, and who want to make a difference in this old earth, uh, to souls who will live eternally. So we ask it in Jesus' name. And for his glory. Amen. 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 All right, let's respond as we.